Morning. Good to see you. or the beach or vacation this weekend. Thanks for inviting us. We're fine with that. That's whatever. You can, we're, not, we're not upset about that at all. Uh, we have a number of people gone uh, to uh, our youth camp that's happening. It's being directed by our urban ministry minister, one of our urban ministry ministers. Um, so if you notice some absences, that's probably what's going on. Um, <clears throat> I remember the very first time, well, I mean, maybe it wasn't the first time, but the first time I remember being um, beat up by a bully. Um, and it's the classic, right? You know, the just, you just imagine the classic kind of, you know, I was nine or ten, my buddy and I were at our house, and we were going to the corner store for some candy. Uh, and this is back in the 80s when parents didn't really monitor their children. They're just kind of running wild. And uh, we had gone down to the corner store, and some three older, bigger boys kind of jumped out from some hedges and blocked our path. Um, and again, it's the 80s, so if you're thinking like, you know, some stonewashed jeans, a Def Leppard shirt, and a mullet, you get the right idea of these three boys. I'm not sure that that's what they were wearing at all, but that's kind of how I envisioned it uh, in my head. In fact, I have a, a picture of one of the, the bullies. That's, um, that's him right there. Actually, that may be Johnny Lawrence from the, the Karate Kid, but I figure he looked something like that, right? And the, these boys, you know, we didn't know them. We hadn't seen them before. And they said, we heard what you guys said about us. Me and my buddy were like, no clue. No idea what you're talking about. You know, and we were like, don't know. I have no idea. Of course, we're nervous, scared. I uh, have no, you know, never been in this situation before, so we're not exactly sure how to handle it. So um, we run away, right? That's how you handle a situation like that. We run away. And I'm not sure that we would have been worth catching, except for the fact, you know, they started to run after us. And this is one of the parts I do remember, is that I ran by a tree and kind of pushed this branch out of my way. And when it snapped back, it hit, the, it hit Johnny Lawrence in the face. And that really made him mad. And then we ended up, you know, one of the guys had my arms pinned behind my back, and Johnny was punching me in the stomach, and it wasn't anything drastic. I mean, no hospital visits or anything like that, just traumatic. Um, and we ended up, you know, getting up off the ground, brushing ourselves off, and going back home. And I, I remember, my dad may not remember this, but I remember driving around the neighborhood looking for these bullies. And I don't know what my dad was going to do, but he was going to, like, I don't know, maybe beat him up. I don't know, like, what are you doing in that situation? What were we going to do? Like, what was the recourse here exactly? But, uh, but we were smaller, we were slower, and we got beat up, you know? Nothing serious, nothing terrible. Just, you know, little kids being picked on by bigger kids. Now, that's a, that's a small dynamic there. But I think that, that concept, that dynamic sort of brings up our basic sense of injustice. When we see that dynamic play itself out in the world, our, our, our like, injustice whatever mechanisms sort of get worked up and we're like, I don't like that. I don't like seeing the powerful preying on the less powerful. I don't, see the, I don't like seeing the strong preying on the weak. I don't like seeing big kids beat up poor, innocent little fourth graders. I mean, there, there's something about those types of scenarios, uh, whether or not it's us, uh, that, that just really gets us a little bit worked up. It's baked into the way we think. It's not just that we want to be mad at the bully mad at the powerful that's, that, that's enacting this injustice. We want bad things to happen to them. And there's a, there's a distinction there. It's not only that we're mad at them, we want bad things to happen to bad people. That's just the way we're hardwired. It's something in our brains. We want bad things to happen to bad people. Think about every movie you have ever seen. 
It starts out and the bad guy does a bad thing. And then the good guy comes along and does something bad to the bad guy. We cheer, roll credits. That's every movie. Every movie. They just keep rehashing that same basic idea. Bad guys do bad things and then good guys do bad things to the bad people. That's every single movie you've ever seen because nobody... Nobody wants to see John Wayne shake hands at the end of the movie with the evil guy. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to see Johnny Lawrence and, and, and the karate kid kind of make up and, and hang out and become buds. They want to see the fight at the end and they want to see the underdog take down the bad guy. That's what we want to see. We want to see bad things happen to bad people. So we're going to hold that idea in our minds here in a little bit and talk about it. Uh, but I want to remind you that we're in our, our part two of our series called Either Or. And if you weren't here last week, that's okay. Uh, but there's some foundational things that we talked about. You'll totally understand what we're, we're getting at here. But if you want to go back and listen, they're online. And we just talked about some of these ideas that sometimes we're put in these situations where we're falsely confronted with an either or scenario. Meaning someone has led us to believe there's only one of two options. And, and that's not quite true. It's like as if your parents took you to Baskin Robbins and you walk in and they say there's either chocolate or vanilla. Like there's a whole, there's 30 more flavors there. But sometimes we put our own like limitations. If other people are doing it to us, it's, it's manipulative. If we do it to ourselves, we're putting our own limitations on it. But we think about things like this. Like, like think about the American uh, work ethic. That's a good thing, but then sometimes it gets out of control and we think like either I have to work crazy, crazy hours or I won't really provide for my family, or I won't really be uh, holding up this work ethic that I've inherited from my forefathers. Like, either or. No, those aren't your only two options. Either I have to trust faith or I have to trust reason. Those aren't your only two options. That's not how that works. Either I have to believe in science or I have to believe in the Bible. It's not your only two options. Either, if you're not married, either I have to marry the first person that comes along or I'm going to be lonely the rest of my life. Have you ever encountered someone where you're counseling and they had this either or idea and you're trying to tell them experience? That's, that's not the way it is. It's not just either or. Either I have to let that person take advantage of me or I lose this friendship. It's not the way it works. Remember last week we talked about a popular one that we think we either have to be fat or we have to be happy, right? You can be fat and happy or you can be skinny and miserable. Those are your only two options. Those aren't your only two options, right? But those are the things that we tell ourselves because we have more weight than we want to have. Jesus was constantly confronted with these either-or scenarios. And, and last week we talked about Jesus walking along and his disciples seeing a blind man and his disciples saying, hey Jesus, who sinned? Because, because physical deformity is a result of sin, that's what they believed. So who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. It's, that's either-or thinking. That's not the way that this works. And we went into the whole exploration of how they had just gotten caught into this either-or way of thinking. Um, some people said, uh, told me this week, they said, well, there are some situations in life that are either or, right? There are some situations. Well, sure, yeah. You can either go to work or get fired. Yes, yes. You can either uh, obey the law or, you know, get put in prison. Yes, that's why I said false either ors. I realize that there are some scenarios you'll find yourself in. You can't, officer pulls you over for speeding, you can't say, excuse me, officer, I, you know, I, it's 25, you know, mile per hour zone, I'm doing 50, but I'm choosing the third option here. My preacher said, I don't have to choose between your get a citation or drive the speed limit. I don't have to choose that. I'm doing my own thing. I, 
don't misunderstand. That's why I said these we're constantly confronted with faults, either or choices in life, and they limit our thinking from what God actually has, the option God actually has laid out for us, either or. We're going to look at another one of those either or situations and see how falling into this trap of thinking, especially in terms of other people, just causes all kinds of problems in our lives and our relations. Uh, relationships with other people. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn over to the book of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 1. Familiar story. If you grew up around church, you're, you know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? A wee little man was he. You know this story. But I think that there's some important lessons about these either or distinctions that we're sometimes confronted with. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Enter the villain, Zacchaeus. He's got a name. And it even tells us why he's the villain. He's rich and he's the chief tax collector. Now, there's a couple of things. This isn't just a tax collector. And if you've heard anything about the Bible, you knew that they hated the tax collectors because the tax collectors re- uh, represented the Roman Empire. They were citizens of Israel who colluded with Rome in order to oppress other citizens of Israel. You can imagine they were very hated people. And Zacchaeus was the chief of those hated people. He was the baddest of the bad guys. He was a pint-sized Darth Vader. He was the worst of the worst. This is Zacchaeus. And it's says he was rich, which implies that he had, he had gained his wealth by taking advantage of other people. So here is this guy that just has to be loathed around town. Nobody likes him. He's the villain. He's the bad guy. Everybody has to pay the tax collector, and nobody wants to, and here he is. I mean, nobody wants this. I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine when he came into the coffee shop, other people left. Just didn't even want to be in his presence. I imagine he never got any Christmas cards from anybody. He wasn't on anybody's Christmas card list. I imagine he saw parties on Facebook happening, but he never got an invitation. He was always excluded because he's the bad guy, right? And bad things should happen to bad people. He's the bad guy. Luke 19, verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, and I just love that, for, for all time eternal, we're going to know that this poor guy was short, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, this is kind of interesting because the language, the Greek language there behind the English actually implies that the, it wasn't just because the crowd was full of tall people and Zacchaeus was short and he was like, you know, nobody was like, hey, Zacchaeus, can, you know, get on my shoulders, buddy, let's see Jesus. No, it was nothing like that. It implies that the crowd was boxing him out from seeing Jesus. The crowd was keeping him from seeing Jesus. So you can imagine he's trying to peek in and they're like stepping in his way. Now they had to pay taxes, but they could still be passive aggressive to the chief tax collector here and there, right? They could rebel in their own small ways. So the implication is, is that the crowd wouldn't let him see Jesus. May or may not be uh, precise, but that's one of the ways you could read that, that passage. And I think that's kind of interesting. Verse four, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, this is Jesus, because he was coming that way. This is very unusual behavior. This is notable because it's very strange. Running ahead, climbing a tree. This is, this is not normal stuff. In fact, I think even today, if you saw someone who didn't work for a landscaping company in a tree, something is up. Like an adult. Now kids all the time. But an adult in a tree, something's going on. Right? 
Zacchaeus was about to turn over a new leaf, I guess. Sorry, that was a bad, bad joke. Either way, he was going to branch out. I mean, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. You're just studying sometimes, and these things come to you, and you're like, don't include that in your sermon, Patrick. Don't include that. And then you just say it, and you know you shouldn't have. 19 verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Now, I want to set the mood here a little bit because Jesus is on his way through this town, Jericho. This is where, where Zacchaeus holds the power. He's the chief tax collector of Jericho. And he's, he's on his way through. He's going to Jerusalem. There's this whole uh, you know, itinerary that Jesus has going on in Jerusalem, which is going to ultimately result in his crucifixion. There's a lot going on. But he's on his way through. He's just passing through town. And just imagine, there, it says that there's a crowd, right? There's a crowd that's come to see him. Because these people were under the impression that Jesus was the Messiah, which was true. But their idea of Jesus being the Messiah was that he was the, the coming king, and he was was going to take back the throne in Jerusalem, and he was going to kick out all the Romans. They thought Jesus was John Wayne coming to save the city. That's exactly what they thought. They thought it was going to be a military overthrow, and they thought Jesus was going to come into town, and he was going to do away with this entire system that included these tax collectors. They thought Jesus was here to, to lead a revolution, a literal physical revolution where, where people were going to get end up dying. They thought that a war was about to start, and they were excited because they'd been waiting for this. This is the mood and the moment, and I bet you there's an energy in the crowd. I bet you there's an enthusiasm in the crowd. I bet you people are excited because they've been oppressed by the bully for so long. They're excited that someone is finally rising up to do something about this. Here's Jesus, and he's got this crowd following him through town. And I imagine a scenario like this as Jesus is walking through town, and people are talking, maybe they're shouting things to him, maybe they're singing, they're all excited, and Jesus just stops. And it takes the crowd a couple seconds to realize that Jesus isn't in the lead anymore, and they stop, and they look back at him. And Jesus has stopped, and he turns and he looks up in this tree. And the crowd, looking at him, follows his gaze up in the tree, And there in the tree is Zacchaeus looking down at everybody. This whole crowd, this crowd that is ready to throw off the yoke of the oppressor. And there is this short, weak little bully stuck in a tree. And Jesus is looking at him. And the crowd knows what's about to happen. Because Jesus is here to overthrow the bully. Jesus is John Wayne here to take out the bad guys. Jesus is Luke Skywalker and there's a battle with Darth Vader about to happen. This is, we've seen this movie before. Jesus is here and at very least he's going to give Zacchaeus a stern talking to. Because he represents everything that they feel is wrong with their country. Wow, this is pretty intense. I imagine there's an absolute awkward silence. And if we were writing the story, if we were watching the movie, the camera would pan away as the crowd moved in on Zacchaeus to do what they thought was right. Because bad things need to happen to bad people. That's how this works. That's how this story goes. We've seen this narrative before. Bad things need to happen to bad people. And sometimes the heroes are the ones that have to do bad things to people. Right? But yet, the story that kids sing about every week that we read hundreds of times, Jesus does something completely bonkers. It's completely nuts what he does. Look at the, verse, the, the next part of this verse, Luke 19, uh, verse 5. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must go to your house today. 
I got to come see you. It's like he's treating him like an old friend. Zacchaeus, what are you doing out there? Come on down, buddy. Let's go to your house for lunch. And the crowd is like, whoa. Now, if there was awkward silence before, you could hear a pin drop because Jesus is treating the bad guy like he's a long-lost buddy. This is absolutely crazy. They're out. The crowd is out for blood, and Jesus is like, well, hey, why don't we get lunch together? That would be fun. How is your calendar open? Let's meet at Panera. That would be great, you know? What? This is the bad guy, Jesus. Bad things need to happen to bad people. So we got to do something about this. You can't just invite yourself over to his house. That was completely socially inappropriate anyway. But you don't go hang out with the bully. If those kids had, you know, the, the kids that beat me up, you know, I dusted myself off and I had said, wow, you guys, you guys are pretty good at punching people. Boy, that was fun. Hey, we're, me and my friend are heading down to the corner store to get some candy. You want to join us? No. You run home and you get somebody bigger to take care of it. You don't befriend the bully. What is Jesus doing here? This is not how the story goes. This isn't how the narrative works. What is going on? The hero and the villain are going to hang out? I mean, I know I've talked about Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker a lot this morning, but it's very formative in my young experience. But if Luke Skywalker had put down his lightsaber and said, Hey, uh, Darth, you want to you wanna go out for coffee? I wouldn't have liked that movie. That wouldn't have been the same movie at all. Now, it's possible that Jesus realizes he's saving Zacchaeus from this crowd. This crowd is amped up. They're hyped. It's possible Jesus is saving them. But just imagine this scenario. Here's this crowd, and they are hungry for justice. Because they had suffered under injustice at the hand of the Romans and the tax collectors for years. They are hungry for justice. And here is one small, weak representative of injustice. Over here's the crowd. They want what's right. They want what's good. And over here is evil. Over here's the villain. And now's our time. We can gang up on him. We can take him out. We can beat him up. And Jesus leaves the crowd and goes over to Zacchaeus and puts himself on his side. That dynamic is unbelievable. You have to know in the moment, people, eyes widened, jaws dropped. That was unbelievable what he was doing. And the crowd, the crowd let him have it. Look at, look at verse 7, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 7. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. A buzz went through the crowd. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Here is our either or. Jesus, you can either be right with God You can either be on the side of justice, you can either be on the side of good, all that is true, all that is right, or you can be friends with sinners. Those are your two options. But you cannot be good and befriend a sinner. Those are your two options. Either or, Jesus. That's what this crowd is all upset about. And and think about the thought process here. Zacchaeus works with Rome to take everybody's money, so Zacchaeus is a bad guy. Because he's a bad guy, he's a sinner. Because he's a sinner, he's unclean. Because he's unclean, he's to be avoided at all costs. Because he's, now think about this, it wasn't just personally, this is how their thought process has gotten them. It wasn't just personally satisfying to be mean to the bully, it was right before God to be mean to the bully. Think of how they had got there. It wasn't just satisfying to be rude and mean to Zacchaeus. It was right before God in order to enact justice to be mean to him. It's pretty interesting here. I think one of the things we should think about is we should always be wary of thinking that makes us feel like we're following God or following his commands while we're mistreating people, no matter who they are. 
We should be wary of thinking that makes us think we're following God's commands while we're mistreating people. That's a dangerous either-or to engage in. Even if they are the bully, even if they are the oppressor, well, you don't understand what they've done. You don't understand. They're, they've been mean to me. They've been rude to me. They've been, I've got to show them justice by being mean and rude back. Oh, is that how that works? I didn't, I didn't realize that. You may have noticed that we kind of like to justify our bad behavior as humans, right? We just, it's kind of how we're wired, right? We do something wrong and somebody says that was wrong. Well, no, 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 it wasn't wrong and here's why. I'm, I'm not rude, I'm being honest, right? I'm not, uh, I'm not lazy, I'm just really good at relaxing. That's all that is. I'm not gossiping, I'm getting advice about how to handle a difficult situation. That's all I'm doing. I just have to give them all the gory details in order to get the right kind of advice. I'm not gossiping. But as Christians, justifying ourselves isn't enough. We really got to take it to the next level. We got we to gotta figure out how to get God in the equation. So it's not just, it's, we say, I'm not being rude, I'm being honest. And, and God wants us to be honest, right? You see what we did there? We went from something bad, not only justifying something bad, not only giving ourselves as an excuse, but saying God wants me to behave that way. Oh, I'm, I'm not, uh, this probably isn't as good of an example, I'm not being lazy, I'm just really good at relaxing. And didn't God have a whole thing about a whole day of the week, you know, I'm just doing what God wants me to do by relaxing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gossiping, I'm just getting good advice. And the, and I, you read in Scripture, in the book of Proverbs, it says somewhere about seeking wise counsel. I'm just seeking wise counsel. And so what we've done, think about this, what we've done is we've enlisted God to get him on our side to engage in bad behavior. That's what we do. Now, maybe you don't, but I have engaged in that sort of thinking from time to time. And the problem is, is that thinking allows us to indulge in our darker motives with like religious impunity. Like, I'm untouchable now. God's on my side, so I can do the thing I want to do. I can be mean to the bully because God said to, right? I'm speculating here a little bit, but it may have even bothered the conscience of the crowd to treat Zacchaeus kindly. They have may have gotten so twisted in their thinking that it bothered, listen, it bothered their conscience to do what was right. That is wild. That is wild to think about that. We've get, maybe, maybe more simply we should say we have got to be suspicious of either or thinking that pits loving God against loving people. When you find yourself feeling like you have to choose between loving God and loving people, I think we've missed the point because that is God, what his, God has said is the expectation of his people uh, to love people. Anne Lamont is an author in a book that I didn't read, but I saw this quote and I thought it was good. She said, you can safely assume you've created God in your image when it turns out God hates all the same people that you do. It's good. Let me, let, me say, let me take it just a step further. Because not only does, does Jesus not do bad things to the bully, not only does Jesus not do bad things to bad people here, but Jesus extends grace to the bully. Jesus extends grace to the oppressor, to the bad guy. Oh, think about this dynamic. Um, let me give you a real-life example. Um, earlier this week, I saw a tweet um, where a lady had said her husband, who's of Vietnamese descent, but has been an American citizen most of his life, served in uh, the Navy, her husband had gone over to help a neighbor with uh, doing some yard work. And the neighbor, evidently racist, said mean things, get out of my country, 
shoot him off, that kind of thing. And here, here's the tweet um, she wrote. My husband just tried to help a neighbor with hedge trimming. She yelled at him to get out of her country. He has no right to be here. When I got outside, I shut her down. Now, she went online to share this. And this is a person with, you know, a couple thousand followers online. But this particular tweet garnered hundreds of thousands of likes and retweets. Now, she's right. That neighbor was being unjust. That neighbor was being rude. That neighbor, there's just no other way to say it. That neighbor was being racist, right? She is right. But you get down to the bottom of here, when I got outside, I shut her down. That's what heroes do. Heroes see the bully, and they bully the bully, right? That's what we expect. That's the dynamic that we live in. We see bad behavior and we exercise greater bad behavior to show that person that their bad behavior is bad. Think about that thinking for a second. That's a little crazy. I got outside and I shut her down. And you know what? The crowd loved it. The responses to that tweet were like, she needs to get out of this country. What's wrong with her? Things that I can't even repeat here, but just awful, awful, awful things about this neighbor. This neighbor is awful, right? And so the sense of injustice, the dynamic of injustice rises up in us, and we've got to be bad to the bad guy. We've got to be hateful to the hateful person. We've got to be mean to the mean. That's how we handle things. That's the American way, right? That's what we do. You treat the bad person badly. You bully the bully. Now, let me pause. Don't hear me say don't stand up for the oppressed. Don't hear me say that we remain in dangerous situations and relationships. Don't hear me say that there shouldn't be punitive consequences for somebody engaging in illegal or even bad behavior. But there's a problem with our desire to bully the bully. There's a problem with our desire to bully the bully. Because what happens is it just perpetuates the cycle of bad behavior. Because now the bully has a reason to think that they've been treated unjustly. And they come back even more harshly against you. Well, then you've got to come back more harshly against them. And you're just lobbing bombs back and forth until somebody dies. That's the way most of it works. Or you end up in some sort of cold war with your neighbor. That's the way that most of it works for us. This lady showed her, I'm sure. Do you think that this neighbor has repented of her racist ways because her neighbor went over there and yelled at her? That's not how it works. Jesus showed grace to the bully. I don't know, and maybe this is just a bigger deal to me than it is to most people, but that concept blows my mind. The oppressor. We've got to stand on the side of the oppressed. Yes, absolutely. And we have to love the oppressor as well. You apply that thinking to your po politics this week. Jesus showed grace to the bad guy. And what happens? What happens because Jesus showed grace to the bad guy? The bad guy didn't learn his lesson and he just kept being bad and nothing. That's why you have to be mean to mean people because they won't learn their lesson if you're not mean. You've got to show them that there's consequences for their behavior and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be the one that brings justice to the situation. Luke chapter 19 verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. In verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is included. He's not excluded by the crowd anymore. He's included. He is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I just want you to think about this broadly as we wrap up this, this, uh, this sermon. Zacchaeus 
the tax collector, is now a Christ follower. Zacchaeus, the rich chief tax collector, is now a Christ follower. Do you think that changes things around the city? The guy who's in charge of tax collecting is now a Christ follower. Do you think that makes a change in people's lives on a regular basis because the chief tax collector is now a Christ follower? Absolutely. Can you imagine how this might have affected just everybody's daily life? Everybody's daily life because in Jericho, the tax collector is now fair. He may still have to collect what Rome is calling him to collect, but he's now fair. You're not getting cheated out of the system anymore. I wonder if people were like, hey, have you heard about Jericho? Jericho's a different place. They don't cheat you there. You don't have to lie. In fact, this is true. The first century religious leaders got together under this oppressive system of Roman taxation. They got together and they decreed that it was okay to lie to the tax collector. You didn't have to tell him how much money you actually made so that he wouldn't take that much money. They decreed it was okay to lie because it saved your pocketbook. But imagine Jericho was a different place because the chief tax collector had changed. He was now a Christ follower. He wasn't stealing from people anymore. He was paying people back. Can you imagine the line around, uh, around his door? Hey, you remember the other day when you said you needed uh, $50 from me and really you were only supposed to get $25? Well, hey, now times four, right? Whatever that is, $100. Now you owe me $100. Imagine that. Imagine how this changed the dynamic of the city. All because instead of bullying the bully, Jesus showed grace to the oppressor. That is where true transformation comes from. It doesn't come from us lobbing bombs back and forth at people we don't like, at our co-workers, at our family members, passive-aggressively making comments, passively-aggressive trying to change people from, from, by manipulating them. That's not where transformation comes in other people. Transformation, listen, transformation comes from people when you show them the oppressor, the bully, the bad guy, you show them the grace that God has shown you. That's where transformation starts. Is it going to work magically every time? Is your worst enemy at work, that person in the cubicle next to you that always eats the stinky food for lunch but doesn't go into the cafeteria and they play music way too loud and it makes it hard to get your work done? Are you going to magically transform them by showing them grace immediately? Is it going to be as dynamic as this story? I don't know. But it's much better than the, the, what you probably have been trying. Is it going to magically transform that in-law that just drives you bonkers and you don't even want to go to holidays anymore because every time that you're there, they say they got to bring this one special dish that you know is your special dish and they know is your special dish and they make a whole big thing because you're the one that's supposed to be bringing that special dish and you don't even want to go to Thanksgiving now. Is it going to transform the situation by continuing to be passive-aggressive? Oh, we'll both bring the special dish. We'll see who eats more and then I'll have won the contest. Is that going to transform anything? No. Or do we transform the situation by doing what Jesus would do? By showing grace. Jesus extends grace to the bully and transforms the bad guy. Our either-or thinking perpetuates the situation. Jesus transforms the situation. Let Jesus challenge our small thinking. Let Jesus challenge our small thinking. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be able to dig into some of these stories where we see uh, the amazing things that Jesus did. And it's incredibly difficult to think about people with whom we've had a uh, tense, difficult relationship and, and think about what it would mean to show grace to them. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you would dig deep in our hearts and help us realize that we don't have to be the one that always is treating bad people badly, that, that you've taken care of justice for us. Lord, help us to know to stand on the side of the oppressed and the marginalized and the outcast. But Lord, help us to love the oppressor. Help us to love the, the, the bully. Lord, help us to love those and, and transform those people that, that are causing these problems.
Lord, we thank you for helping us see that there are more options than what we know or what we see laid out before us. And we just pray that you would help us live out those options this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are